Praise the Lord. It's good to be with you here today. And as we get into the word of the Lord, I want to make an announcement that I, I had forgotten to make while ago. We want you to be praying for Imogene Wiggs and her family. Uh, her husband, Philip, passed away last week. And uh, we just want you to remember them in prayer. Uh, you can look online and we, there is a service scheduled this week. I think it's on Tuesday. You can look online. I'm sure it's posted there. So uh, we want you to be remembering them in prayer. Today, as we get into the word of the Lord, it's kind of a different kind of a word than what I normally preach, different style in the way that I normally preach. I'm usually really aggressive, but I feel like that the Lord's just going to do a little bit of a teaching type thing here today. Uh, I don't really understand why the Lord laid these scriptures upon my heart and why he took me in the path that he did. I'm just going to obey him. When, I, when I, we are looking at the different events that's taking place in our nation, and I preached on that last week, and I've been very uh, cautious that we don't allow the events of what's going on around us be the driving point of what we preach. If we're not careful, we're always going to be reacting to what's going on, reacting, trying to, and as a pastor, as a shepherd, you have to keep abreasted. You have to keep aware of what's going on. You have to also, uh, you know, encourage the congregation at times and instruct the congregation at times. But if we're not careful, we'll abandon the gospel by just constantly uh, preaching about all of these different things that's going on. How many knows this world has went rampantly wild? Amen. And if we just constantly hit on every little issue that's going on around our nation, we would abandon the gospel of Jesus Christ. But today there is a little bit of a response about what is going on, and yet God's trying to teach us how to be wise and how to uh, remain a, a believer during these perplexing times, perilous times, is what Paul called them. If you have your Bibles, you can remain seated for the reading of the word. It's rather lengthy. It's Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 15. And later on, we're going to be in Psalms 37, if you want to keep that open for later on. Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot, be, uh, cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits shall you know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken to him as a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon that rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. May the Lord add his blessing to the word today. In chapter 7 of Matthew, Jesus is ending what we call the Sermon on the Mount. That's what this whole chapter is about. And at the beginning of the chapter, he deals with people judging. 
Matter of fact, Brother Zach preached a message not too long ago on that. He starts out in verse 1 and 2, and this is how he said what he says. He says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and for what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you again. And then he says in verse 3 and 4, Do not try to pull a mote out of your brother's eye and not consider the beam that's in your own eye. But then he gives us some instruction in verse 5. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thy own eye, and thou shalt then see clearly to cast out the mote that is in your brother's eye. Now this becomes very, very interesting here because he, if we just stopped at verse 4, you would develop a totally false position of what Jesus is talking about when he talks about us judging. Notice he even tells us that after, remove our, after we remove our moat in our own eye, then we would see clearly to be able to remove the beam in our brother's eye. This seems to be contradictive to what Jesus just said about not judging other people. How can you see a, a beam in a brother's eye without a sense of judgment? How do you know that it's there if you're not judging that it's there? And second of all, how can we help him remove it if we ignore or not judge in that kind of a matter? So we got to understand what is Jesus really saying what is he really meaning about us not judging? A matter of fact, in the very next verse, in verse 6, he says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine. This scripturally seems to contradict what Jesus just said about judgment because when he speaks of the dogs or he speaks of the swine, he's talking about the agnostic and or the unbeliever. In the kingdom of the parables, Jesus makes reference to a merchant man that has discovered a pearl of great price. Most of you know that parable. But many times as you and I are reading the word of God, the Lord opens up our understanding to a passage of scripture and it's like finding a great pearl. That has happened to me over the years many, many times where I'm just reading the Word of God and maybe I've read that passage 15, 20, 30, 50 times and never really seen the meaning. All of a sudden, something jumps off the pages at me and it becomes a treasure. It becomes a pearl. It's a revealed, hidden truth. It's like a gem that has been tucked away and we have just discovered it. Some would call them a rhema word, a word in season, a word for the now. Yet Jesus is telling us that everyone cannot handle such truth and it's not profitable to always share what you have discovered. If you don't believe that, go back and look at Joseph. When Joseph had his series of dreams and then he had the interpretation of those dreams, he went and told his brothers and what did that do? That infuriated them and caused them to rise up in anger and jealousy and they ended up throwing him in a pit, raising him out of the pit and selling him into slavery. And let me tell you folks, just because God begins to show you some hidden truths does not mean that you're to go out and broadcast it and tell it to everybody. Now, I, I, you're saying, what's this got to do with anything? Hang with me and I'll show you. First of all, you cannot always share that special word just with anybody. If you go, if you go to a total unbeliever or an agnostic or a brother that is doubtful and you try to share the beauty of God's revelation that God had shown
showed you in your heart, a lot of times they'll make fun of you because they don't believe in what you're saying. And worse yet, they often make derogatory remarks about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is when you are taking the precious things of God and exposing them to scorn. You're casting truth before swine or you're casting truth before the dogs. That's what Jesus said. Some truths are not always profitable to share with everyone. You have to be selective in who you, pre you preach the revealed truth to. As a matter of fact, that takes judgment. God wants us to have a sense of judgment in these last days. Can I tell you, the way that we operate, the way that we talk, the way that we function, we as believers better be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove in these last days. There has to come an overwhelming sense of judgment and an overwhelming sense of discernment in the body of Christ in these last days if we're going to be productive in the end time harvest. Now God is speaking to the church. That means that you and I are going to have to operate in a greater level of anointing and wisdom than we have ever operated before. This is not a time to be careless and reckless and foolish in our speech and our actions and our conduct. And even when God does something marvelous in your life and reveals something he's about to do, be careful and get an understanding from God who and who not are you to share that with. Here the other night, I was having a special prayer meeting, and the Lord just said, do not invite the church at this point. And I said, okay. And God began to drop people's names into my heart and who to invite. And I had some friends that I wanted to invite, and I started to invite them, and the Lord said, no, don't do that. God knew exactly who needed to be there. He knew exactly the people that could handle it. He knew exactly who he was going to use at that hour. And you and I have got to come to an understanding that when you rise up with a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom in your heart, that is for you to do and you're to only use that word in the context of God's will for that word and it may be you that has to stand on it alone. And a lot of times we want to pull everybody in to strengthen us and help us to fulfill the will of God. God's saying you've got to learn to trust God even when you've got to walk it out alone when you're by yourself, when you can't share it, and God's not revealed you to share it to anybody. You've got to hold it on the inside, and you've got to walk it out, flesh it out, speak it out to God, but God does not want us to throw our pearl before swine, which allows scornful activity to rise up against the church. That is not the will of God. Can I have an amen? Paul discerned the meat of God's word, don't belong to babes, but they are to have the what? Sincere milk of the word. That is a form of judgment, is it not? He judges that. A babe will choke on meat, and he cannot handle it because he can't digest it. Everything God reveals to you does not always necessarily mean that you need to go out here and preach it and testify of what he showed you because everybody will not be as excited about it or understand it in the context that you received it. Can I have an amen? This is why that Jesus said, Judge not lest ye be judged. Now, why did he say that? He is using that in this context for us to not be going around constantly condemning and critical of everything, pronouncing judgment or damnation on people, even though that we might have a deeper understanding and a deeper insight of what may be going on than what they do. 
And a lot of times, just because we have spiritual insight and we can see what's right and wrong does not mean that that gives us the license to be abusive and go in like a bull in a china cabinet and try to convince them of what God has showed us. Hello? If we're not careful, we become so hardened that we lose the ability of being tactful, sensitive, and rational within our thinking. And if we're not careful, we'll become a Joseph and we'll unleash more on the church and against the church than what we have ever imagined. And the weak and the babes and the immature may not be able to handle the fight that we oppose upon our own selves by the truth that we reveal to the wrong people. Does that make sense? God's speaking to us here. If we're not careful, we'll become unable to reasonably discuss the precious truths of God, and we lose our effectiveness due to a judgmental spirit in our judgmental approach. Some people cannot handle being used of God because they become heady and high-minded, and then they sit up on the throne and they think that they judge, they can judge righteously. Just because God shows you about something about somebody does not mean that you're to run over there and slap them up with a head with it. Matter of fact, there was an instance one time in Ninth and Cedar where there was a, a lady who was used in the gifts, a very spiritual lady, a very godly lady. I love her very much, had a lot of respect and, with, and a lot of respect and, and honor for her. And one morning she just got up and, 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 and I, I tried to stop her and she just overpowered me. And she said, oh, the Lord showed me something. He said, the Lord showed me that there's some homosexuals here today and if they'll just come to the altar, God wants to save them. She was true in that, and I had already discerned it. I'd already seen where they were sitting. But the problem of it is when she blurted out that truth that was revealed, it was the wrong timing. It was the wrong setting. It was really and honestly, it was out of order because now who in the world is ever going to move to an altar in front of those people? It stopped them from being saved. Even though it was truth, it cut too hard and could not be handled. God is saying, walk wisely in these last days. Folks, you don't want to bring a fight upon yourself that it's not God's will for you to fight. You don't want to open up a reproach against the church just because of our narrow-mindedness and we want to prove, bless God, I'm right. I know what God has showed me. What God has showed you may not necessarily be wisdom in order for you to reveal it in the setting in which you're revealing it. And God is speaking real carefully to us as a church because we're going to deal with enough persecution that's about to come up and we don't need to be the, the problem uh, ourselves. We need to have wisdom and tactfulness and understanding of the times in which we live. If you think that the freedom of speech is just to blurt out anything you want when you want, you got another thing coming, go to China and start saying certain things. You'll, you'll, you'll wise up real fast because the first time you open your mouth and it's not something that, that needs to be spoken in that context or in the area where you do it, you're thrown in prison. That'll change your perspective and you'll go underground like the believers are. Can I have an amen? Knowledge and discernment are different and wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. Now, I don't know why I'm preaching this because there must be something heavy fixing to happen within the heavenlies. This is why that Isaiah said in Isaiah 1 and 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The Lord wants us to reason things out with us. He does not want to repel us or cause us to run away from him. It's not God's will for us to cause anybody to run away. 
And he does not want the church to become offensive in our approach by being arrogant in what are, are the revelations that he gives. And God wants us to have wisdom in the revelations that he's about to pour out upon the church. In the next few months, you're going to have more revelations if you're spiritual than you've ever had before. And when you do, before you react and before you say anything, pray about who to share that revelation with. Can I have an amen? Oh, God, help us. God does not want us to argue a person in the faith, but he wants us to lead them, to coach them, to love them, and bring them in the faith. In our text, in the middle of this chapter, as Jesus begins to start his closure on the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 15 he says, Beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now we know that even the devil can appear as an angel of light. We understand that there is false prophets out there. This calls, though, when you begin to look at that, beware of false prophets, this calls for a level of judgment from the body of Christ. And if we're too cautious to judge anything, we would be void of discernment. And the church must have a level of discernment and judgment or we can never exercise church disciplines or expose any kind of apostasy or heresy. Folks, this stuff saying that never judge anything is wrong, we are called to a level of judgment in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is fixing to give people insight of things that is happening, but he can only do it to those in whom he can trust that revealed truth too. The more that we come to know, the more that we come accountable to that knowledge. And God is saying, be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. In closing of this church dispensation age, we gotta be very careful. Matter of fact, Paul went on and said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14 through 16, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish in him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged to no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Hebrews 5 and 14 says, but strong meat, say strong meat. I'm about to preach. I thought I was going to teach, but I'm fixing to preach. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of a full age, say full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, this means as we judge, you and I as a Christian, as we judge, we are to have our senses exercised to where we can be reasonable in our discernment in casting that judgment. Everything I see wrong as a shepherd or as I see wrong as a pastor, I'm not always swift to run to judgment. I have to discern and be reasonable in that judgment. Why? Even Jesus taught us that, didn't he not? In the parable of the wheat and the tares. He said, as a man, as the church slept, it's a reference to the church, as men slept or the church slept, an enemy came and sowed tares in the field, sowed tares into the church. And he said, and then the question was that, well, we'll run out and we'll pluck, pluck up the tares. He said, no, sir, don't you go pluck up the tares among the wheat, lest you damage the wheat also. And then he says, let them grow together until the end time, and then when the harvest comes, when God puts in the sickle, he'll gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff and the tares, he'll bind them bundles and burn them. But there is knowledge that has to be accomplished with wisdom 
in how we begin to make judgment in these last days. Those of you that are going to be used in prophecy, be wise in the prophetic word because God is about to pour out the gift of prophecy and revelation and inspiration upon this congregation. Are you ready for it? But when spiritual maturity arises in the body to where the gifts can begin to operate, there's more accountability and responsibility of us to be able to follow Jesus in the most significant and specific ways that will not cause harm to the body of Christ. Can I have an amen? Everything has got to be done in decency and in order. So we got to do that. Sometimes some things are not profitable to deal with so swiftly, and we have to be cautious, carefully, tactfully, with wisdom, approach those things. Verse 16 of our text, Jesus said, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? For us to do this, it demands that we have the ability to discern, to distinguish, and make righteous judgment. Look at verse 17 of our text. Jesus said, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. When he says that you know them by the fruit, that takes a level of us judging on our part, doesn't it? If I look over and say, uh-oh, that's bad fruit, I just made a judgment. But the Bible says don't judge. But yet here he tells us, judge the fruit. You and I can know the tree by the fruit that it bears. When he says you know them by their fruit, it takes a level of judgment and discernment for us to understand what kind of person that is. The big push among American culture is let's just all love one another and get along. The Bible tells us not to judge. We're all children of God. This kind of mentality leaves us open to apostasy and it will cause the church to lose its ability to make righteous judgment and to govern righteously and call things as they should be called. Genuine Christianity, according to Jesus' own statement, is evidential. What does that mean? It must, provi it must provide evidence. And fruit is that evidence that you're a child of God. Just for them to make a statement, a confession of faith with their mouth and make a profession of their faith is not enough. It must be backed up and followed up with fruit bearing. Amen? We're living in an information age and there's a lot of knowledge both in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm that men and women are obtaining. However, just because people can quote scripture, have a knowledge of the word of God and refer it to justify their behavior does not make things right. Can I tell you, some know just enough scripture to get them in trouble. And matter of fact, did you know even the devil quotes scripture in order to manipulate people? He even quoted scripture to try to use it against Jesus. Amen? But fruit is the evidence of the transformation, which is not just hearing the word, but it's a hearing to the word. It's not good enough to hear the word, speak the word, talk the word. You've got to adhere to the word. You've got to be a doer of the word. Can I have an amen? A person isn't known by how much scripture he can quote, but he's known by how much fruit that he produces. Amen? Remember, you know the tree by the fruit that it bears. A good tree brings forth good fruit. A bad tree brings forth what? A real Christian, will he stand against abortion? Hello? 
A real Christian, will he oppose same-sex marriage? A real Christian, will he stand against homosexuality? A real Christian, will he stand against racial prejudices? A real Christian, will he stand against violence and hatred and strife and emulations and heresies? Absolutely. But yet on the flip side of the coin, we have all kinds of Christians that will embrace such conduct and yet claim to be under the banner of Christianhood and yet tell you, don't you judge me. And yet on the flip side of the coin, God tells me to judge them by the fruit that they bear. In John 15, Jesus said that he was the what? The true vine, yet there's many vines. But he's the true vine, amen? This means that Jesus is the dynamic source of our fruitfulness. The fruit that we bear is actually Christ producing it in us and through us. The fruit is the evidence of both the life in the branch. When I got fruit, that means my branch is connected to the vine and there's life in this branch. It also reveals the nature of that branch. It reveals the very intent of my heart. When I got the fruit of God in my heart, it is proof that I am connected to Jesus Christ. That is my evidence. It's not by what I proclaim. It's not by what I say. It's not by my works. It's not by all these mighty things that I do or put on display. It's not about all of that kind of stuff. It's not about my showmanship, my charisma, my ability to preach, my ability to quote scripture. No, no, the evidence of whether or not that I'm a child of God lies in the process of whether or not I have fruit in my life. Amen? Even a mere, even a mere child has enough discernment that he can identify an apple tree that has apples hanging from its limbs over a thorn tree. Amen, you got a thorn tree here, you got an apple tree here, this is full of apples, you walk up and that child will say, that's an apple tree. And he's gonna look over there and say, I don't know what kind of tree that is, but it's got thorns on it, it must be a thorn tree. Does he have the right to discern? Does he have the right to judge the thorn tree of being a bad tree? No, you know the tree by the fruit that it bears. But if it does not bear forth good fruit, then it's not connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. Everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is not always a believer. We're living in some hideous times. In our case, fruit is proof of transformed nature and life within. You and I cannot produce fruit without Jesus Christ. It's impossible. All life comes from the vine, and if we're not connected to vine, there's no life to produce fruit. The branches then begin to die because they're disconnected, cut off, and thrown into the fire. You know what? The connection to Christ is the source of our fruitfulness. It's my connection. It's my relationship with the Lord. According to Jesus' teaching in John 15, the Father is the vine dresser, the vine dresser, and he's the one that attentively and carefully begins to prune the tree so that it'll bring forth fruit. The father cuts back and prunes us just like a person would prune a fruit tree so that it would bring forth more fruit. You know what God's doing right now in the body of Christ? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's got a bunch of clippers in his hands and he's going throughout his church. Clip, 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 and that hurts. He's cutting the body of Christ right now. What we are feeling and what we are sensing is that God seems to be standing back away from us 
not answering our prayers. The heavens is brass. We don't understand what's going on. And all it is is God beginning to reach out and clipping the branches of our lives. He's pruning us. The process in Scripture is that we go from fruit to more fruit to much fruit in, in, in John chapter 15. That is the three processes. Don't have time to preach on them all, but that's the three processes that God takes you to. First of all, there's fruit, then he makes more fruit come out of it than much fruit. The evidence that one is maturing and growing is by how much more productive, productive are they in their fruit bearing. God is saying, you want to really know if you're growing, how much more fruit are you possessing than what you did a year ago? There's something wrong where a two-year-old branch is bringing more fruit than a 10-year-old branch because that 10-year-old branch ought to be producing more fruit than the two-year-old. Amen? The word from the record of Scripture, the spoken truth that is quickened by the Spirit, it is the instrument that the Father uses to prune us in our lives. The Word of God convicts us, it instructs us, it corrects us, and it teaches us. And if you don't have the Word, you're not going to be pruned. And if you're not pruned by the Word of God, quickened by the Holy Spirit, convicted by the Holy Spirit, corrected and chastised by the Holy Spirit, you will not come into productivity. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The man that despises this process is called an illegitimate child. He's called a bastard in scripture. He becomes fatherless because he's not willing to submit to the pruning process of God, the corrective rod of God. And he becomes fruitless and he's cast out and burned according to the word of the Lord. There's to be fruit in our lives. In the American culture, we have come to think that power, and here's where the Lord really wanted me to bring it home. You and I think that power is the evidence of a productive life. Everyone is wanting to have some kind of power. Right now, there's a war over political power. There are people that want monetary power, well, what the power that money brings. And the church, we want spiritual power. We want spiritual authority and dominion. The church has come to believe that a lack of power is the evidence of an unproductive life. However, I submit to you today that the authenticity of our faith is not gained by power displays. Even though all nine gifts of the Spirit are to follow the Spirit-filled believers, yet they themselves do not authenticate our faith. I'm sorry, they don't. In Hebrews 2 and 4, the Bible says, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Even though God bears witness of the signs and wonders and divers miracles in a believer's life, yet the absence of those gifts does not indicate that one is void of the faith and unproductive in his life. If that is the case, then many of you are unproductive because you're not laying hands on the sick and they're recovering. Many of you do not speak in tongues or give out messages. Many of you do not prophesy. Come on. Many of you don't give out words of wisdom or words of knowledge. So does that make you unproductive? Does that make you not a Christian? Does that make you immature? These are given to the believer according to God's own will. The believer does not own them or possess them, but God demonstrates them and manifests them through the believer 
at his choosing. I cannot turn on the gift, turn off the gift. I can't muster it up and I can't work it up. I can't manufacture it. It's either there or it's not there. It's God inspired or it's emotionally driven. Am I doing all right here today? Yes, there, the, there is the gift of faith. Yes, that does produce supernatural results. But there is also the fruit of faith that produces character. Amen? Lord, help me here. I'm going to say that again because I'm going slow. Is it all right? There's the gift of faith that produces instantaneous, supernatural results, and that's what we all like. And a lot of times, people will flock to the person in whom God uses in order to bring that to pass. And they'll authenticate that man by the power display of his life. Woo, look at the anointing on that man or woman. And all that does is rob God of the glory because if any man is used of the gifts, it's God's gift working through him and it's not he himself in the first place. And if he comes to think that it's him, he's already lost it and he's on his way to becoming a false prophet. Am I preaching okay? We flock to people that have power displays but we want to refrain from people who have godly wisdom and character because they seem to be boring people, but they're controlled not by the emotions that is generated by the power this place, but they are motivated and walk out in the spirit through the fruit of faith. It's their fruit operating in their life. <laughs> While the gift of faith produces instantaneous results, they impact our lives, yet the fruit of faith comes out of patience and it produces eternal results. What's more important, instantaneous results or eternal results? What's more important, being edified or being changed? Being affirmed, lifted up, becoming excited, enjoy, becoming a place of enjoyment or becoming Christ-like? While the believer does not own the spiritual gifts, you don't own them, you don't possess them, yet you do own the fruit of faith. They're yours. You're the one that developed them by the help of God through the correcting rod. You became obedient, and that fruit becomes your fruit out of your obedience. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, maintenance, temperance. What does that tell me? There's a lot of Christians that fall apart when something powerful does not happen or when things don't come to pass is when they think it should come to pass. Some of the most critical and judgmental people are those that are always looking for a sign, looking for a miracle, looking for a dream, looking for a word, looking for a supernatural event to occur. And when those things don't occur as they think they should, and when disappointment comes, guess what they do? They fall apart. They're the kind of people that wants to authenticate everyone's faith and every, and everyone, and every church by the power displays. And there are many people, when they don't see believers operating, 
and the gifts of the Spirit are in a person's life when they come into a church and that church is not constantly giving a word, constantly laying hands on somebody and someone falling out, constantly laying hands on someone and someone becoming healed. Do you know what they'll do? They'll leave that church and they'll try to run and find a prophet, find an evangelist, or find another church in order to be able to fill their emotional driven life by trying to always find something exciting going on. And the danger in that is they're authenticating their faith by the power displays and not by the fruit of faith. Power displays come and go. But what does fruit do? It remains. Isn't that what Jesus said? I pray that your fruit remain. It's not like here and gone tomorrow. It's not a taste of it here and then all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. That ain't what Jesus said. He said your fruit remains. Fruit is what stabilizes the church. Fruit is what stabilizes your life. Those that want to authenticate on the basis of power displays easily come into what we call false prophets. They always have to have a word from somebody in order to be able to keep their title and their ministry exciting. I remember one man, I won't mention his name, but he come out and he repented. He was a man where thousands of people had come to him and he said this, I had to become very creative in order to keep the monster that I created alive. And he said it become where people were constantly flooding to me, wanting this, wanting that. And I had to make up stuff every single time that I had a service in order to keep the masses coming. What was wrong? People had never developed fruit. All they done was emotionally driven in order to authenticate faith by power. This is why Jesus in our text said, beware of false prophets, which comes in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raven wolves. I want to give a word of caution right here. I know I'm going slow. I want to teach you this morning. We're to judge, are we not? False prophets. Are we to judge false prophets? What makes them false? Because they miss a prophecy? Does that make them false? What makes them false? Because someone might have said something and misunderstood the Lord or maybe that one or two or three times in their life they may miss something. That's what we call being human. Amen? If I say something out of the intent of a good heart and thought I heard from the Lord and I just missed his leading, does that make me false and you're gonna take me out of my ministry that I have been faithful in for 30 years and have had fruit in my life and evidences of that fruit? Right now, people are wanting to crucify the prophetic voice over the election. I'm gonna get off my notes, is that all right? Everybody's wanting to crucify these prophets. Well, first of all, it ain't over yet. Second of all, if they did miss it, don't judge them too harshly. Have discernment, godly discernment. Don't ever judge a man's motive or intent. You can only judge his fruit. Is that not right? I know a many a man that have missed it but yet look and check out their lives, they got fruit dangling everywhere. So what made them miss it? They're not glorified yet and they're not perfect yet and they're human, there's a human element in all of us and thank God that we're not cast aside just cause we mess up a couple of times in life. 
But those that are only seeking the power displays, when a prophet misses it, they want to cut his head off. Why? Because they themselves do not have fruit. They're not long-suffering. They're not patient. They're not kind. They're not gentle. They're not self-controlled. And out of the abundance of emotion and disappointment and frustration because the prophet didn't get it right for them, they want to cut the prophet's head off. Am I preaching all right? Lord, help me right here. I don't know where to go because I got so much to preach. John 15, he starts out and he talks about having fruit. The first stage of fruit is sonship. That's where it begins to grow. That's where it begins to be produced. Amen? When I come to Christ, I'm barren. I'm fruitless. I'm carnal. I'm ungodly. I'm filthy. I'm a sinner. I'm a reprobate. Don't be hard on yourself. You all are without Christ. You're unregenerated. Your mind does not think good things. Your life does not bear out good things. You come, you give your life to Jesus, and the first thing that he does he regenerates you and justifies you and there's a level of fruit that is automatically produced in you and it's called a transformed life. It's out of transformation. It's out of a relationship being connected to him that fruit automatically begins to pop up. Amen? It may pop up first in the form of budding. You know, like you got the buds on a peach tree, that means fruit's coming. It's got evidences there's growth. It's got a flower. It's got an evidence that man's connected to Jesus Christ. We see that in the term when Jesus taught him to pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We see it in, in the very context of scripture as he finishes out that chapter seven, he says, which one of you being a father? If your son come to you and ask for bread, are you gonna give him a stone? If he come and ask for fish, are you gonna give him a scorpion? If he asks for an egg, are you gonna give him a serpent? How much more does your heavenly father want to give good things to them that ask? And in one place he said, how much more does the heavenly father want to give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? So what is that saying? When I come to Jesus, my first level of maturity is sonship. That's where it all begins. It's being born again. It's being saved. It's being regenerated. It's coming into the knowledge of God and me making a surrender to Jesus Christ. Okay? But there's a second we go from fruit to more fruit. Where's that more fruit come in? It comes in in James chapter two, verse 13, where now we're not only sons of God, but we become friends with God. Abraham obeyed God by offering his son Isaac upon the altar as a sacrifice, and because he was obedient to God's command, the Bible says that his faith produced righteousness in him and Abraham became the friend of God. I have some friends that's more closer to me than my family. I have some friends that treat me better than my friends treat me, I mean my family treats me. Come on. Friends is a different level because, listen to me, 
Sonship involves image. I am in the image of God by DNA at Calvary. I am in the image of my father, Bill Miller, because of DNA. I look like him. People come up to me who know my dad when he was younger and say, are you Bill Miller's son? They've never seen me a day in their life. I went down into Arkansas where my dad was raised and went to a funeral home and a man walked in. He looked at me and he said, are you Bill Miller's son? I said, yes, sir. Did you know my dad? Yeah, I knew. And you look just like him when he was young. That's what you call image. I'm in the image of my daddy. But in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Then let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and his own likeness. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. So what now God is saying, when you go from sonship to friendship, it's no longer about image, it's about likeness. Likeness is different than image. I got some family members I love, but I don't like. So do you. You love them, you're kin to them, God's still working on them, but they're not perfect yet and you don't like them. Hey, I got a witness over here. She got a problem. We got to pray for her. <laughs> I'm joking. So what does it say? When I become to the next level of fruit, I not only have the appearance of God on the outside, but I gain more fruit to where now I become to live out, act like he does. I become like God. You know why you're a friend with someone? Because you're like them have same beliefs, you like what they do, you get along, come on, you don't clash. Your friends is not someone you sit around, I get to sit with Johnny today, we get to clash all day. Oh, we get to fight all day, we oppose each other all the time. No, you're like them, you have similar views, you, you have come in the likeness of that individual and that's why you're attracted to them. If you're attracted to a bad tree, it's because you're a bad tree. Woohoo! got you on that one, didn't I? If you're attracted to a good tree, it's because what? You're a part of a good tree. It's that simple. When I see Christians hanging around at bars and I see them drinking and I see the things they put on, uh, put on Facebook and I see the movies that they attend, I automatically say, whoo, they got trouble. There's not real true fruit hanging on their vine. Oh, you're judging. No, I'm not. They're judging themselves by their own actions. They have not come to the level of likeness yet. They have not become like Jesus. My goodness, this ain't going over very good this morning. When you're in the family of God, you love everybody. That's the level of sonship. It's love. Amen? But friendship's not about love, it's about like. Amen? I'm not going to join up with someone and make them my mainstream friendships if they're not like me. And if I'm not like them. Then there's a third level of fruit. Fruit to more fruit to much fruit. Where's that at? It's in Luke chapter 18 where there is a little widow woman who comes to the unjust judge and cries out day and night, 
avenge me of my adversaries. And the unjust judge turns her down. Now, we say, well, God's not an unjust judge, but in the parable he says, he likes unto the children of God who come before his throne like this little widow woman did. And he compares himself to being a judge. And then finally, the unjust judge says, man, give that woman what she wants because her much coming troubles me. She pesters me. She won't let up. She's constantly knocking on my door. She's constantly just wanting and wanting. Give her what she wants so she'll just go away. God spoke to me and he said, what's got to happen in the last days is the church has got to move out of sonship to friendship and from friendship to a judicial stance to where we see God not as a father, not as a friend, but the holy judge who sits upon a throne. And you and I then are got to be participators in the judicial act of God to where we go into the very throne room of God, we let our petitions be made known, and we present our cause. God, avenge us of our adversaries. But most of people's prayers around sonship, God, heal my dog. God, give me money. God, touch Susie. God, help me. My washing machine's tore up. God, come on. And we've not learned how to be authoritative, march into the throne room of God boldly in a judicial sense and say, God, see what the wicked are doing? You gonna let them get by with this? God, I'm not here as a son. I'm not here as a friend. I'm coming in the judiciary courtrooms of God as a complaint of, of the righteous. I have a complaint. The wicked prosper while the righteous are shoved down. Come on. God, there's unfairness, there's injustices, there's, there, there, there's things going on, God, where the enemy is triumphing over the, the saints, where the wicked are spreading themselves like a green brain tree. Nothing's being done, God, where are you at? Instead of me going in and accusing God, I go in in faith and say, hey, I'm here as a saint with a complaint, and God, I present that complaint in the name of Jesus, and I come in agreement to the will of my Father which is in heaven, and the will of God in heaven shall be done on the earth as I bring this judicial complaint to you. I am convinced that, God, that you're gonna work on our behalf, that you will not strander, that you will not leave us stranded, that you will not turn your back upon us, that you will hear our complaint, that you will answer speedily, and every scheme and every plot and every device that the enemy has against us, it's not going to prosper because God I'm standing in your courts and I'm asking you to avenge my adversary but you can't go there without fruit because if you go there without fruit you're bound we done preached on that a few weeks ago didn't we this thing ain't about God come down into my life 
it ain't about me, it ain't about me mixing my life in God. It's not about saying, hey, God, come down and walk on this journey with me. It's about me saying, I die to myself and I surrender to you. And you, God, I take up my cross and follow you. And when I get to that place in maturity, I have the right to come before God's throne and I can quote Psalms, what, 92, Psalms 35, Psalms 37, where God promises I was going to read that. Can you put Psalms 37 on the board? Look at this. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon, come on, you got to hurry. I'm going to get ahead of you. Verse 2. For they shall soon be cut down like the green grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, and so shall thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the what? Desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Commit. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light. Oh, hold right there. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as what? What does light do? It exposes. And thy judgment as what? The noonday. Oh, I'd like to preach right there. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, for it not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger. This is the question. Forsake wrath and fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Stop right there for a minute. He's saying when all this stuff is going on, he said, don't you become like them. You cease from your anger. Don't get bitter. Don't lose faith. Don't lose heart. Forsake wrath. Don't try to have vengeance for yourself. Let God avenge. Just say, don't judge. Lest you be judged. With I'm not judging. I present my judgment to God, who's the judge of all the earth. He's the one that brings the vengeance, not me. I don't get my gun and go shoot them. I don't hate them. I don't get in fights with them verbally. Come on. I don't get in a fist fight with them. Forsake wrath, fret not thyself to do in any wise to do evil. Okay? Go on. I think they can hear me up. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. <laughs> Woo, come on, give him praise. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, they shall diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Come on. The wicked plotteth against the just, even gnashes upon them with his teeth. I love this next one. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. <laughs> woo The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bows to cast down the poor and the needy and to slay, slay such of an upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Hallelujah. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. Oh, come on. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into the smoke. 
The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. But the wicked shall perish and the enemy. Hey, we're going back and forth here. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are order of the Lord, and he delighteth in his ways. Though he fall, yet he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Even if we fail in all this, I have been young, and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. The righteous, come on, depart from evil, do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, hear that? Forsaketh not his saints, they are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom and his tongue talketh of judgment. Stop right here. The mouth of the righteous, that's you and I, go back, speaketh wisdom. Here's what God's been putting in my heart. And his tongue, what does he do? Talketh judgment. He's wanting us to be that judiciarial and that judiciarial system where we go before the God as the righteous and we make our complaint known unto God. Okay, go on. One more. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh the slain. Look at the promise next. The Lord will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judged. Huh. Wait on the Lord and keep his ways and he shall exalt thee to the inherit, to the, inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading themselves like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressor shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Hallelujah. Did you look at that? One more time. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. And he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Psalms 35, that whole chapter deals with the same thing. Psalms 94, that thing deals with the same thing. God said, David starts out in Psalms 94 and he says, How long will you not avenge me, O God? When are you going to avenge my adversaries? And God, through that whole chapter, gives him a prayer to pray. And it's all about how that he literally gets before the throne of God and speaks against his enemy. And God begins to take and come in agreement with David's prayers. And God then begins to say what all he would do to the enemy. And I'm here to tell you, with everything that's going on, it looks bleak, it looks dark, it looks cold. It's not a time to fall apart. Right now, we have people that are losing out on their faith. Already, we have people that says they'll never believe in the prophetic word ever again, and they don't even believe in prophets. There are Pentecostal and charismatic people leaving the belief in the prophet by the thousands over this election because people said Trump would be elected, and he wasn't, and literally people are leaving by the groves. You know what that tells me? They're, they're trying to authenticate something by the power displays, and they themselves lack fruit. I want to tell you, even though if, let's say, all them prophets are wrong, let's say Trump does not get into power, let's say he doesn't come to the president, I still believe that prophets 
I believe there's a prophetic word. I still believe in miracles. I still believe God sits on the throne. I'm not wavering. I'm not falling apart. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to get scared. I'm not going to walk around in fear. Why? Because I have the fruit of faith. That tells me because I have fruit, I can love at all times. I can believe at all times. I can be kind at all times. I can be gentle at all times. I can be self-controlled at all times. It don't matter what comes against me. I have the fruit of the Spirit. I have love. I have joy. I have peace, I have long suffering, I have gentleness, I have goodness, I have faith, I do not fall apart, I have meekness, I have temperance, I'm a child of God and the authenticity of my faith lies in my fruit. It does not lie in my emotions or in my experiences or in the power displays. It lies in the fact I am connected to the vine and the vine is connected to me. I am the branch of God. I will rise up in victory. I shall not be dismayed. I shall not be destroyed. I shall not be, uh, I shall not be thrown away. I shall not be cast off. I am God's authority. I am God's child. I am God's anointed. Stand to your feet with me this morning. Start working on fruit. I don't know why somebody would want to take a bunch of fig leaves and eat them when they could have had a peach off of a tree. Why is people partaking of corrupt trees? When there's good trees out there. We're living in a hideous time, folks. We better become mature. Time to work on fruit, fruit bearing. Being like Christ. You cannot go from sonship to the judicial branch overnight. You've got to go through what? Friendship. Learn to become the friend of God. Learn to like what he likes. Do what he does. Act like he acts. Try to mimic him. One of the biggest problems that I have with my sons sometimes is they're like me. I hear my wife every once in a while say, Jonathan, Benjamin, Sam, just like their daddy. You're the one that made them like this. And it seems to be always when they're acting up when she says that. Amen. She never says, well, they're looking like me right now. It's always, look what you produced. They're just like you. I remember when I was a little boy and I was squirrel hunting with my father. I'm in his image, but I wanted to become like him because he was my hero. Everything he'd done, I wanted to mimic it. When we went squirrel hunting, he'd try to teach me how to squirrel hunt and be quiet, and he'd take a step or two, and he'd stop and watch. And then when I'd take that same step, I'd make sure that I would step in the same footprint that he did because I thought he was quiet by stepping there, and I would be quiet. But the problem was, Mike, his steps were much wider than mine, and I'd go, crash. He'd, shh, shh, be quiet, boy. I'd say, man, I just stepped in the same step he did. 
I wanted to be like him. Our pursuit after righteousness, our pursuit, blessed are, the hung, hung, blessed are those to do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If we're going to save this nation, we better become a people that move from sonship to friendship to where we can go in boldly before the throne of God in a judiciarial way and get in the courts of heaven and literally begin to agree with God to avenge our adversaries. Did you know it's not wrong to ask God to avenge your adversaries? However, what you've got to do is come into agreement with him, let him have mercy on whom he would have mercy, and let him save whom he must save. Because we want everybody to be saved. We want everybody to have mercy. Instead of destroying our enemies, we want them to be saved. I'm asking you to come into prayer agreement with me that the palace of praise would be full from the bottom to the top, from the side to side with fruit. That we would become in these last days a protector of the people, a protector of the nation, a voice of the nation. That we would have the enough anointing in us to change the heavenlies and come to an agreement with God where God could work on our behalf. And that we would not always find, follow signs and wonders and miracles, but they would follow us. We're not looking for them. They just happen when they happen. They occur when they occur. And we settle for that. It's God's judgment when he wants to give them out. I can't control that. Amen? But if you really want to seek a word from God, get in the Bible. You want to know what's fixed to go on the earth? Get in the judicial act of God and consult him about it. Argue your case. Tell him how you feel. Explain to him, God, abortion is rampant. And yet we got a man that was just elected president who quotes scripture and yet wants to kill people, children, when they come out of the womb. He ain't elected yet, but he's elected by the media. But yet wants to quote scripture. Come on. He wants to unify the nation, but yet wants to call everybody that likes Trump idiots. Come on. How are you going to unify like that? Now you're saying, man, you're getting bold now. No, I'm just telling the case, folks. It's not the will of God for our nation to head the way that it's headed. God's against abortion. God hates it. He abhors the shedding of innocent blood. It's an abomination. We better get on our knees and we better learn how to get into the courts of heaven and we better bombard heaven. And the next 30 days is crucial. And when you hear a word of the Lord, you better know what to do with it, to keep it to yourself or share it to other like people to where they can become like-minded and agree with you in prayer over it. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now and we ask for your help. Please, Father, help us not only to have fruit, even more fruit, but let us have much fruit. Let us be a church that God is not authenticating our faith by power displays. Thank you for the office of prophet. I believe in it. Thank you for prophecy. I believe in that. Thank you for miracles and the nine gifts of the Spirit. I believe in them all. I think they're necessary. I think they're important. I want them. I want to operate in them. I seek for them. Yes but I don't authenticate my faith by them. 
If you never use me in any of the gifts, I still know who I am. But I also know that when I become all that I'm supposed to be, those gifts are promised that they would follow after us. Lord, we need those gifts, but the lack of those gifts does not indicate that we don't have favor with you. Our favor is found in the proof of the tree, of the fruit on the tree. I ask you to give us all fruit. Forgive us of all of our sin. Cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And help us to stay to get burdened and hungry so that we can come into the judiciarial courtrooms of heaven to where we can make our complaints known, come into agreement for you to avenge us of our efforts. And let us keep coming. Let us keep coming. Let us keep bombarding. Let us keep knocking. Let us keep seeking. Let us keep asking until, Lord, you get enough of it and a belly full say, hey, because of their much coming, they trouble me. Give them the petition of their heart. I pray over this nation, and I'm going to keep bombarding you for you, Lord, to somehow do a work and a miracle in this land. I believe with all of my heart you're on the throne, and I do not deny that God that looks bleak in the natural, but that does not mean that there's not something brewing in the supernatural. But I stand here not by the voice I hear from a prophet, not by the voice I hear from a prophetic word, but I stand here in faith by what the word declares. There's nothing hidden that shall not be revealed. And you're about to expose the falsehoods of this nation. And you're going to bring victory for the believer. Avenge us of our adversary. In Jesus' name. Now give God praise. Sing, shout, glorify his name. Come on, give him praise in this house. Hallelujah to the Lord. We're not downhearted. Lord, we give you praise. We're not cast down like a bunch of sheep. We give you praise. Oh, hallelujah. We don't charge you foolishly. We give you praise in Jesus' name. One more time, one more burst of praise, and you can be dismissed. God bless you.